Flash for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 58, Greyhound from 2020. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, we did it. We have finally caught up on Tom Hanks. Not the final episode of the podcast. We have another five or so bonus episodes to go. And then we'll, you know, do movies as he releases them. But to celebrate this accomplishment, the only Hanks movie from the year. Actually, so let's think about this for a second. Okay. All the actors we've done. Nicholas Cage has re- released no movies this year. No movies this year. Keanu did one. A very excellent movie. Charlize did one. Yep. Shia did one. Cruz did none. Hanks has done one. So it's, you know, he's tied. The, he's atop the leaderboard, tied with one. Slim pickings, though. For movies in this weird, weird year. Very much so, yeah. But I mean, here we are, Joey. Yes. We've done it. I was doing really well up until the end there, and then it just became like Sisyphus, just pushing that boulder up the hill every episode. (laughs) I feel like I have rebounded in a way, and three of the last four, I have been fully on board, and the only one that I wasn't fully on board with was uh, one that I was kind of on board with, you know, the the Mr. Rogers one. But with us today, to celebrate Mike finally pushing the boulder to the top of the hill, only to see it come crashing down again when when he realizes (laughs) there's another four or five episodes to edit and record and release, we have with us our year 2000 expert, and the only numbers in the year 2020 are also in the year 2000. We have Dan the Duke Hayden. Hello, Dan. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on for what is, I guess, by catch-up standpoint, like the last episode of, I know you guys have extra episodes to go, but I feel honored. I feel like I'm, I'm capping something off. Yes, you are. You are capping something off and captaining something off on this ship as we sail across the Black Pit. So, Mike, please, if people do not have Apple TV+, Plus, if they have not bought an iPhone and gotten it for free for a year, if they did not do a trial, please hit us the plot summary of what this movie is about. Okay, so Tom Hanks' latest boat movie. Tom Hanks plays Captain Krauss. He is a first-time commander, and he is in charge of the titular ship the Greyhound, as well as almost 40 other Allied ships making its way across the Atlantic. A few years after America's recent involvement with World War II, they are bringing supplies and troops, and on their tail are Nazi warships, U-boats, submarines. Most importantly, Hanks has to navigate all of these ships across the Black Pit, which is sort of this area where they cannot have a plane escort. So there's no one sort of on top looking out, covering their asses, anything like that. It's a treacherous 50 hours or so. They're out there. And it's like real life battleship. I mean, this is the movie I was... I texted Joe as like, this is the movie they should have made the game out of because this is pretty breakneck speed stuff from beginning to end. Tons of casualties, but they make it through to the other side. Hanks' very first mission is considered an extreme success. At the end of the movie, he basically goes to bed and uh, the march of war goes on around him. Yes, yes, yes. All good things. So... There was a weird, not a hiccup, I don't want to say it was a hiccup, but like when I was keeping the schedule for who the guests were on the episodes, I had two people that I thought wanted to be on here. One was past frequent guest, Tobin Addington. He's like, no, I I never signed up for that one. I was like, okay, don't know what I was thinking about. But then when I reconfirmed with Dan tonight, he was like, oh no, I definitely want to be on this one. So Duke, tell me, was this a movie that you were looking forward to? Is this a movie that you already seen and wanted to see again and talk about? Like what is your, I guess, brief history with Greyhound? So this movie was in development for a while in a different couple of different things, but I remember seeing the trailer for this, I don't know, maybe at the beginning of the pandemic. And I specifically remember thinking, I love naval movies. I love Tom Hanks and I love 
that movie that Tom Hanks was in where he was in World War II. Hmm, maybe I should, you know, send Joey and Mike a text and see if I can be on this podcast when it eventually comes out. So as soon as I saw the trailer, and the trailer was awesome, that's what made me want to be on this podcast, aside from the other things. To speak quickly to the pandemic thing, so this movie and to the production, this has had a really kind of, I think even once it was done, it's had kind of a tumultuous release schedule. So it was supposed to come out last March, March 22nd, 2019, like a year and a half ago. And on the same day, they pushed this back to July of this year, and they pushed back A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood by like a month and a half. And so these two Hanks movies, Sony was like, nope, pushing them out. And so the Mr. Rogers one, not wildly delayed, but this, like a year and a half, is a pretty big deal. And then coronavirus hits, everything changes, movie releases are like, what is going on? And they kind of, you know, abort their plans, and Apple buys this for release for $70 million. It's a staggering amount of money for a release, for like a, a platform, like a straight to... You know, Apple has billions of dollars in cash on hand. It doesn't matter. But, like, it's a lot of money. I remember Tom Hanks lamenting that this did not go to the big screen. I will say the poster makes it look like, and, I, and I'm and i so glad this movie is not like that, but it makes it look like a Nicolas Cage-esque straight-to-VOD movie. Yeah, the USS Indianapolis, yes. specifically. Yep. Like, the poster <laughs> looks bad. And I was sort of nervous and skeptical, and I had heard like mixed things, like mostly pretty good, but like some st- some stuff that wasn't overwhelmingly positive. And I was like, I think this is probably going to be good to all the points that Duke said before about like what we've seen Hanks do before. But I was nervous for a little bit, and thankfully, this movie's great. Yeah, I remember seeing trailers for this in theaters last time I was out in theaters. I mean, not in front of the last movie I saw, which was uh, Birds of Prey. I don't think I saw it before that, but I remember seeing it and being kind of excited because it's history. Hanks, it's war Hanks. I'm not a huge uh, Navy, like naval fighting kind of thing. Like, I, I've seen like U571, but I've never seen Das Boot. Like, I'm not into these movies that much, but I can appreciate him when I see him. And this one really caught me off guard. I love the adrenaline. I love the fact that I had no idea what anyone was really talking about, but I sort of kind of did in a weird way. Like, you could kind of figure it out eventually. You catch on. It's like they're speaking their own language, but like, it really did make me feel like this is the battleship movie I've wanted and we deserve. Like, I I hope that doesn't demote it in any kind of way. I'm not trying to make fun of it in that sort of way, but I'm just saying, like, it felt like a, you know, maybe this is where that game was based off of. Like, people heard about the battles in the Atlantic Ocean, and they were like, hey, like, let's sort of, like, condition our children when they're young to want to join the Navy and do this kind of stuff. I I don't know, but that's where my mind was going to watching it. And uh, this movie books. It's so fast. Like, it's an hour and a half. Uh, It's all action. And yeah, I was really excited watching it. I mean, if only that Karin Kusama, Nicole Kidman movie Destroyer didn't come out two years ago, they could have had a battleship compliment called Destroyer because it's a Destroyer class boat. So, I mean, you could have had that paired with Battleship and who boy. But yeah, Duke, what do you think of this movie? Did you like this movie? Did it live up to the hype you had built it up? And if you had to pick a favorite part, what would it be? Yes. And I will just say because Mike mentioned it. Well, you guys know I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So that's kind of where my love for Navy-like stuff came from. So, but I remember because you as always talk about me loving the year 2000. I remember seeing U571 in theaters and all of a sudden all I wanted to do was watch any kind of navy or you know like ship-esque movie which is funny that I didn't realize when we did Top Gun back on Cruise Club that it wasn't the navy and I thought they were in the air force. But Das Boot, Enemy Below, Crimson Tide, but yeah, it all started with watching U571, Mike. And I just love the biggest part about this movie is that nobody really is a character. 
or has much development besides like Hanks himself. The crew itself is like the main character as like a whole. Like they live or die by being a well-oiled machine and observing their roles to make sure that the mission is a success and that they don't die. And I love the fact that they really zero in on that. And since you guys were saying it moves really fast, it's like 90 minutes, it's wham, bam, and you're, you're done with this movie. The fact that they didn't, I'm not going to say waste time, but they didn't spend time working on a lot of character development kind of makes it work. They didn't try to fit it in. For that, I'll give this movie a lot of credit. It's definitely not trying to be something it's not. Yeah, I could have seen this getting bogged down with way too much character development, and it's more concerned with just sort of um, portraying a factual battle, like seeing it, how they actually just like unravel, like almost in like some kind of truncated real time. But the battle seemed to be in real time even though we skip around a little bit between them but it really just seems to be almost like you know how like some games are simulators this almost feels like a movie sort of like that which i liked a lot it just didn't get bogged down and stuff and and the very little we get about hanks as a person is enough like his proposal to elizabeth shoes in the beginning and you know so now you know there's something he's sort of holding on for um and then sort of the brief moments around where you hear like oh he hasn't eaten he hasn't sat down and then Joey, his like Ad Astra-esque calmness, you know, it just really commands the rest of the ship is sort of becomes an extension of him for the most part. Well, I will correct you on that because I feel like Brad Pitt, he is calm, but he is screwing things up a lot in this movie because this is his first voyage across the Atlantic Ocean. He's calling people by the wrong names. He's mismanaging resources. He's doing a lot of things. And like, I'm not saying that I could have done better, right? But like, he's not eating. Like, he, He's showing signs of fatigue and error. And ultimately, he's successful. But like, I don't know that we can necessarily lump this in with the Ad Astra, like, <laughs> shining examples of calm under pressure, because like, things go wrong for a while. And like, to the point where, you know, maybe the saddest death in the movie is when the, the guy who keeps bringing him food, just trying to get him to eat, is killed when they get attacked and then he like you know he sees the new guy come in and then he calls the new guy by the old guy's name like he's just so frazzled that he is calm but he's also barely keeping it all together like it's it's patchwork kind of like the boat becomes at one point it's it's an entirely different character for sure and it's sort of interesting to see how a character like brad pitt under pressure can have like a sort of macgyver solution to every problem on the fly whereas this guy like can't he's calm and collected but he's keep he keeps screwing up and so i don't know i just found that kind of interesting about him as like you should be sort of letting it out more and it's kind of interesting how he's just sort of trying to put on a brave face for every around him and the crew really the whole time everybody is working to fulfill the orders he's trying to give him but at the same time they're kind of looking at each other they're kind of like oh, is this guy making the right move is is he gonna get us all killed why isn't he eating why isn't you know he relinquishing command so that he can rest it's definitely there's moments in the movie where the people directly around him are looking at him like is this the thing that's going to get us killed can we get somebody who's taken a nap or eaten a ham sandwich in the last you know 30 hours and i really like that i like that the crew will still follow his orders obviously but you know you're kind of waiting for somebody to like you know i object captain and nobody ever does it Right. I do want to say that his lieutenant, I think, Cole, is this dude who's been, like, in everything. I'm like, what do I know him from? And I look him up and I'm like, oh, he's been in everything. Like, the dude's, like, 45 years old. He's been, like, 110 things. He's, like, a mainly a British actor. Oh, Stephen Graham. 
Yeah, his first yeah. in command, but like he's from everything. I mean, he played, I guess the thing that I maybe, I only saw a season of it, but like he looks like it, but he played Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. I think he was in Snatch with Brad Pitt. He was in Snatch. He was in Season of the Witch with Cage. Oh my God, that's right. I think he's a director as well, if I'm, I might be mistaken. Very but possible, but he's been in everything, and it feels like if anyone was going to step up and be like, sir, like, you need to do something, like, it would have been him, and like, he might consider it behind closed doors that we don't see, but it feels like every time he's like, no, I'm firmly in your corner, like, let's do this, right? So, yeah, they're all like, maybe they're nervous, or maybe they're just scared in general because they're at war, but like, they're not questioning him. I think they're all like, you, you, you should probably, either you should probably take a nap, or like, they see his like, bloody feet and the sock prints he's leaving around, and like, they're like, oh, God. But I think they're also, in a way, like, admiring him for that, right? Yeah, and I think they're giving him a lot of slack because it's his first time. And I also think there might be an element of they don't really want to be in those shoes. Like, you mentioned his bloody feet. Like, that's they don't really want that. You know, I feel like everybody is sort of, like, not stuck in a role, but, like, kind of just wants to do what they're, they're doing in a way. And I don't know if you picked up on that, but it's I think there's, like, a, just a reluctance to assume command even, you know, even at the higher levels under him. Well, because the pressure is like, he's not only captaining the ship but he's like leading the entire battalion across the ocean right the whole convoy yeah the entire pressure not of the war but like of the war on his shoulders yeah you can't take into account i mean you got to remember that naval war at this time was very dependent on mechanized technology and you know besides the enemy trying to shoot you stuff doesn't work sometimes the thing you had to be able to count on was that everybody would just do their job and not wanting like you know kind of like the heavy is the crown kind of feeling i wouldn't want this job if i was on this ship as a radio operator or just like a deckhand or somebody who who worked in the mess hall i sure as hell wouldn't want to be captain even if i thought he was making the wrong decisions because i would have fear that i'd be making an even worse decision i mean the only thing the only mistake that seems to be made aside from people calling the wrong names or like maybe being a little over eager with resource management is that one kid sneezes and forgets his like basically forgets what he heard and has to repeat and everybody's like do not do that again it's like yeah i get like i get that it's like life or death but like everyone else otherwise is like flawless at what they do and i think it all works because to your point duke from earlier the entire rest of the crew the like the ship crew and the movie crew work together to like do the job to do the thing it's crazy because you know they they end up losing like seven ships or something like that i think within Mm -hmm. like 48 Mm -hmm. hours you know and and they're devastated about that right like he feels like a failure but then they show up and they're like in in a way they're sort of like is that all you lost like that's like good job tally ho like get ready to go again and he's just like oh fuck but so like it's just very strange how like expectation when you're out there in the middle of the shit and like you think like everything is going horribly wrong and then all you can do is like hope to survive and then when you do to realize like that was like a successful crossing it's like oh my god like this is going to be a rough one yeah it was horrifying on both sides. I mean, like, there was no good job at sea for either German or, or American or Allied side. I mean, it, it was horrifying. You, you know, so many people, like, they showed it at the end of the movie. I forget the statistics, but, like, so many sailors on both sides died because it was just a very uncertain and dangerous, dangerous job. I think it was either 52,000 or 72,000 souls lost, and Hanks refers to souls here again, like, very Sully-esque, just calling them not, you know, not people, but souls. Also, very religious Hanks. Have we 
had religious hanks before? Not since, like, Road to Perdition, maybe, where he would, like, mm. pray before murdering. But I found it funny, and this is just, like, such an offhand thing, but, like, he goes to... He ends the movie going to bed in Bridge of Pies, and then he goes... He ends the movie going to bed in this movie, too. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Did you guys pick up on, like, kind of like a God is testing him vibe from this? Oh, sort of like a Lieutenant Dan thing, maybe? Like, but more of, like, a reserved sort of, like, he's not screaming at the heavens version? No, like... Every time he, he like, you know, he blesses his food or goes and, you know, when he's doing the service and the prayer for the dead soldiers, you know, something horrible happens. It just kind of felt like it, it was his only big reoccurring theme of his character, besides being kind of unsure of himself, but still being very, very good in a pinch, that he had this religion to kind of fall back on. And I just felt like everything was being taken away from him. Like, you know, the food. He never gets a cup of coffee. He never gets to eat. He never gets to sit down. He has to ruin the last gift that his uh, his girlfriend gave to him by ruining the slippers with the bloody shoes because he couldn't stand to be in his, like, uh, Navy shoes anymore. Maybe I'm reading way too much into this, but it was a 90-minute movie, and I was trying to grasp whatever I could. But, I mean, that would go in line with sort of taking religion seriously is that idea of penance, right? And, like, you know, denying himself sort of the comforts of war right like so don't take the food to me bring it to the next guy like those kinds of things maybe or like not having the foresight to be like oh these slippers like just using it as a tool right he just needs something to comfort his feet at the moment per se and it's just there's no real sort of other importance linked to it in his mind necessarily i don't know that's that's an interesting way to go though i don't doubt that it's a valid reading if he wasn't so religious, and I think that I'm just ascribing meaning or taking her character from leaving Las Vegas, but I thought for a second, like, because he at the beginning of the movie, right, like, meets her in a lobby. The movie starts at war, and then it's like two months earlier, and like, we're in a hotel lobby or something. I was like, wait, what? Like, why Why is this? I guess just to give him a little bit of, like, this is almost exactly the Captain Phillips thing, right, Mike, where it's like, you have one scene with her, like, yeah. why, why are we doing it? But anyway, you know, he's like, hey, let's get married. She's like, we can't do that. And he's like, all right, you're right. And then he like goes off to war. And I was like wondering, and this is kind of season one spoilers of Lost sort of, but as I've been rewatching that for Too Fast, Too Forever, had in my brain, like Locke being in love with the phone sex operator and then Sarah (laughs) being a prostitute in Leaving Las Vegas. I was like, I wonder, like if he wasn't so religious, I would almost be like, he might be misinterpreting a relationship with a prostitute and be like, hey, marry me. She's like, what? No, what? I just like, that's this part of the job. But like, it's not that, but like, I couldn't shake that thought like once i had that like wildly off base thought i was like maybe and like she comes back like in a flash like later but like i don't know why she's there other than to like give him humanity and like the slippers the same issues that i had that we had i think with captain phillips i'm like why cast elizabeth shoe i mean it's only like a day of shooting or whatever right but like why put her in this movie really to give her nothing to do yeah it's true i mean the only thing I can come up with is they you know well they had to have some kind of scene to show what he was sort of like I said like coming back for and the idea that she's like we'll wait to get married you know that's the whole sort of point of the scene and it's a little too like yeah it's it kind of sucks that she's just you know there for that one moment only and there's no real other way you could have brought her back I wonder if there was a way you could have shown something else that he was fighting for by starting on the boat your other idea about Captain and Philip just started on the boat you know just have him tell stories maybe I don't know they keep the crew calm and keep himself calm or something like that it's interesting to see that it's Elizabeth Shue it's good to have her back it's funny to see that we're at the very last movie in, in Hanks for the Memories and 
they've fi- she's finally crossed over from Cruise Club and Cocktail. Do you think there's like a two-hour cut of this movie where there's a shit ton more Elizabeth Shue in it? Like before they go kind of stuff or just like cutting back? Because I feel like once you're at sea, you don't want to cut away and that's what really makes most of the movie for me. I just don't understand why you bring on somebody like Elizabeth Shue for like a I would love to know how much she got paid to do this scene. With the movie being so short, like, there's a lot of things I feel like this movie could have done extra that would have changed it. Not for better or for worse. I'm just saying that it's it's for a war movie and not like a super arcadey, everybody is, like, going to get a headshot on the first shot, like, kind of war movie. Like, stylized, not realistic war movie. For it to be, like, a dramatic war movie, 90 minutes is short. And I'm wondering if, like, where the rest of this movie was cut out. Yeah, I was also just thinking, too, like, why, if it's a a Playtone, you know, he's, like, a producer, Hanks is a producer, Hanks is the screenwriter, you know, he should have just, it could have been Rita Wilson, would have been a perfect cameo for Rita, and you would have gotten way more, like, connection without trying from just that right there, and then she's popped up a lot as cameos in his film, so it wouldn't seem out of the ordinary the way that Elizabeth Shue's kind of jarring because you expect someone of her caliber to be a lead in this movie, right? I think that's what I'm getting to. Mike, what about you? Did you have a favorite part of this movie? Is it something that we've already said or something that we have not talked about yet? Well, I just think the battles are great, but I especially love the night battles. I think the way that they use color and light up the sky with all of like the um, explosions and the tracers and the fire and everything like that. I mean, it was really impressive the way that this movie was shot. I doubt that it was shot you know, out at sea. I mean, I bet they were on a boat in the water somewhere, but like the special effects or the digital effects in this movie are incredible. I was just sitting there going like, these are great. I'm sold on everything. Like it feels like I'm watching, you know, something along the lines of Dunkirk at times, except we're just, you know, at sea. Yeah, I just liked that. I loved the overall pace. Um, I love that I just was sort of not really expecting to be that into this movie like I'm really down with it I think I'd even sit down and like watch it again someday especially since it's only 90 minutes and I really liked Hanks in it this time you know I was kind of a controversial take on Mr. Rogers last episode Joey I guess um wasn't really feeling Hanks there but this feels like good old-fashioned reliable Hanks doing something he's really like into that he feels like he wants to be doing this kind of stuff and telling the story and I really like the energy behind his performance and all that kind of stuff combined there's that one night battle, I guess it's like the, the main night battle where there's a couple times in the movie where like it, it zooms out to show the scale because it's a very small movie and a very big movie at the same time. But there's the one time where they're at night and like they're, they're sort of zooming, the camera zooms out to like show the battle and they show the ships of the ships and then they zoom out even further and you see like the northern lights above the clouds or above the mist. I'm like, that's so beautiful. Like it's so cool. They're so close to such beauty and then down below is such chaos that just the, the contradiction, the, the, the comparison there or whatever worked so well it's beautiful and i wish i could have seen it on a big screen that's that's what i'll say man i really not to take you into a huge story but i had this app on my fire stick and then uh, i brought my playstation downstairs because my wife was watching something on the fire stick i realized i couldn't get it on the playstation so i pulled out my iphone to watch like the first five ten minutes of this movie and immediately turned it off like no i can't start this movie on a phone and then switch to a tv yeah But then I took it an even step further, man. 20 minutes into this movie, I went upstairs and grabbed the sound bar from my (laughs) my TV upstairs and brought it down here. And oh my God, those, I mean, the first decision was a no brainer. The second decision was just a very, very educated, good guess. Yeah. 
I mean, it's really tough because I was thinking about that too. I was like, man, this would have killed on the big screen, like the sound and the spectacle and the and the action and the, the idea that there just hasn't been like water battle movies in a really long time. I feel it's been like a few years since one has really caught on. Um, but then on the other hand, I'm like really glad that it's out on demand. And I, had to, you know, I wish more movies were coming out on demand too. And then I was thinking even more is like, you know, if they did release this in theaters again, when it's safe for everyone to go out again, I would still go and see a movie I enjoyed that much in that experience in, at the big screen, you know? So I don't know what I'm really getting at is I guess release everything on demand and I'd still go to theaters eventually to see it. But yeah, I mean, I think the tricky part with that is that it, is now owned by Apple and they don't really have a distribution. Like, they have no reason to distribute that way, right? So True, true. I think maybe that's why Hanks could have been a bit bummed about it as well is because, like, now, like, as much as I want to see Tenant and I'll have to probably watch it on demand, like, yeah, like, it would be awesome to be able to see, like, movies designed for the big screen there first. I would see this movie for just that sequence where they're firing at the U-boat and then the merchant ship is coming in at them, almost like when you're standing on the platform of a subway and the train starts coming by. Like, you know, they nearly crash into each other and they don't. And there's the one message guy just standing there, just like shitting his pants. Like, oh my God. Like, I would see this movie just for that one little sequence on a big screen. I wrote down, big boat so close to little boat. <laughs> Dude, Joey, I wrote down, where did I put it, though? I, I wrote down something about them drifting because, like, they were they were dodging the torpedo and they had to sort of, they, that was another one where they sort of cut to the wide shot. You could see the two torpedoes coming at them and the, the whole thing kind of goes almost vertical, but it does, like, this boat drift. Yeah. And I was like, that's very fast and furious. Yeah. I will say, I think my favorite part of the movie that we have not talked about yet is the end when there is the another big boat, maybe it's a merchant boat, I don't know, ship terms, and it just Feel the people applauding for they don't really I don't think they know Hanks they're just applauding for like the fact that they got there and like he's welling up with emotion and I'm like almost crying and I'm just like it's such like I, again I only cry at, like happy things in movies but just like the relief like he's on his way to bed and just to see like literally thousands of dudes be like thank you for getting us here safely it just it's a lot right and he just you know chokes up and it's beautiful it's a beautiful ending I was under the impression it was like a troop transport with it being so many men on the boat yeah maybe I think that's like that's just the boat they were bringing it to right I I love that. What about least favorite moments? Is there anything else aside from Elizabeth Shue and just the fact that there's only one? I mean, not that there's really a place for more than one woman or not that there's like really, I think it's probably true to the era that the only black people in the movie are in servant roles. Like I get that, like aside from that stuff that feels, I guess, historically accurate to a point other than that least favorite moments, anything that stands out as something that's like, that's not great. I'm sure this probably actually happened and it's not that it's even a bad moment in the movie. It just, it makes me so sick is when, and maybe that's just like telling you how, like telling me how good, like maybe well-made this movie is, but when the Germans start taunting them over the radio, Mm. I'm just like, yeah, I, that is fucking, you know, that's disgusting. <laughs> like, I, I'm sure they did that, and I'm sure that's portrayed, like, very accurately, because, like, that made me sick. And they're like, we see your friends dying in the water and screaming and all that stuff, and I'm like, fucking A, man, like, insult to injury, all that kind of, like, mental warfare. Like, I guess it's kind of a cheat, because, like, it's a very powerful moment in the movie, but, like, it was my least favorite, because it just got to me the most, where it's just, like, I hate sore winners, I hate people that will just, like, beat you and then stick the knife in more and stuff like that so like well spoiler mike the germans lose they they don't don't (laughs) well i know no thank goodness and i'm glad we never see them face to face because we shouldn't have any empathy for them you know like they should just be 
the extension of the sort of like the tool that they are out there in the water. It's funny you mentioned that, that Mike, because that is actually, I don't like that part specifically. There's a couple of things I really like about what they did with the Germans, but uh, more importantly, that fucking shit would never happen. The sonar used on the convoy and on the destroyers literally would be able to triangulate their position exactly if they sent a radio transmission like that. The instant that he was like, oh, Greyhound, it would be launch and they would be dead. The U-boats were menacing because, you know, like how they were coming up for air. They were menacing because they would do that just out of the range of where you could shoot them. And they'd be like, ha, look, you can't get us. And then they would disappear and come kill you. But yeah, if they ever like released an actual transmission, the allies would have just blown them the shit up immediately. But I kind of liked not the menacing kind of German voice. And again, you guys know me. I'm I'm pretty intelligent cat. And and I really, really hate Nazis, but but the sides of the boats, the U-boats, like the giant murals on them. Oh, the wolves. Oh, and the, the, the skull. I mean, like, again, uh, not not into Nazis in any way, shape or form, but the art was kind of cool. Oh, well, the wolf is big in Norse mythology. I mean, being half Norwegian, if you know about like Fenrir, he even made an appearance in Ragnarok. He's the giant wolf. In, yeah. uh, in Norse mythology and like yeah he, he swallows Odin at the end of time right before everything goes to shit so like yeah he's sort of you know I guess an icon of the Nordics <laughs> somewhat <laughs> but like I could see them using that as a symbol of intimidation right as like the, the creature that ate the leader of the gods. I have a question and I'm, I probably just missed a very easy explanation but I think at one point in this movie someone on the on the Greyhound ship paints a swastika on the side of the boat? Yeah, that's a tally for the kill, my friend. Oh, that's like, okay, that's, that's like cool. A, that's like a K? A strikeout? Yeah, or or like when you get a touchdown in football and you add whatever symbol of your school like, to like your Like the college. Buckeye sticker to your helmet? Yeah. Exactly, okay. that's, a, that's a we murdered a Nazi and so we're gonna... I mean, I thought about it too, like may, maybe they wouldn't have used swastikas... Like maybe like like a, like a big red like I don't know like an explosion uh, I guess I guess the guy was thinking I want to mark the hole that we got our first kill what symbol should I use I guess maybe that was the no brainer for him because what was weird like I way overthought it because like they do that as they're all getting changed like they get out of like their war garb into like their more casual clothing and I was like are they trying to like and like this is again the dumbest thought process imaginable i'm like are they trying to like cover like pretend that they're a nazi ship in case they ever get like pulled over like <laughs> that like they're not in their american clothing they're in like more german clo- i'm like that i'm like that doesn't make any sense like and like the, the tiny little swastika I'm like that what like what i'm like that it, but like i was like i don't know what any of this is about are they trying to like redisguise their boat like lord of war where cage is like evading ethan yeah. hawk and he's yeah. like change the numbers <laughs> change the letters <laughs> yeah man <laughs> Pulled over. Do you have any idea how fast you were traveling, Mr. Destroyer? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. I, I literally just have, like, one thing, and it didn't even occur to me until, you know, we started talking about it today uh, with the, in the show, is, like, maybe I could have taken an extra ten, five, ten minutes before they go to war. You know, not necessarily to pat out Elizabeth's shoe, but maybe to pat out Hanks as well a little bit extra. I don't need it, but I'm just saying, like, if... 
if they came to me and said, we'll do whatever you want to this movie, I'd be like, yeah, definitely add, like, more of the Elizabeth Shue relationship before he goes off so we have, like, a solid idea of his sort of core values and things like that. Like, why does she want away? Why doesn't she want... You know what I'm saying? We don't really get any real explanation. That's all I would say. I'm trying to think if there's anything else because I think that's valid. I just... I think what works really well about this movie, this is not a least favorite thing at all, but I'm just thinking through the things. I think what works really well for a movie that's so heavily driven by dialogue is that you're filling the gap, like what almost feels overwhelming, but like in a good way, like as opposed to a bad way, is you're hearing somebody say something and then somebody else repeats that to like, to relay it, right? And like, it just, there's so much dialogue and it's so repetitive, but it adds to the tension and like the music building and like the bombs and everything. And like, you're just not able to think it's never quiet until it's quiet, right? And man, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a tense movie. It's a good movie. It's a tense movie. Yeah, and I even feel like with the language stuff and the terminology, it's a little, it might be a little bit difficult too, like it was for me, I think. And then, but you really can get used to it, I feel like it just becomes like any other, like, you know, any other thing. Like, you just, once you decode it, you can understand the language, I feel. I also feel like this is the kind of movie, like, I know that Captain Phillips is a different movie, but I think my favorite parts of Captain Phillips, not, exclusively but like my favorite stuff of Captain Phillips is like most of this like Hanks as ship captain like giving directions and like trying to do shit and evade shit like I think that works really well obviously Captain Phillips has like the entire sequence where he's on that little like lifeboat remember what's like with him and all the terrorists like the the hijackers the pirates like that's tense as hell and then like at the end when he's in the spoiler decompressing right that's great acting but like i feel the first say hour and a half of captain phillips like what i think works best is what 80 percent of this movie is right it's just like hank's like making sure they don't die and trying to go on the offensive and i think i was like this is kind of like what i wanted that to be in a way not what i wanted it to be but kind of what i want you know what i mean it's like he's captaining here i mean he's captaining in that one too but like he's in it here in a way that he's because he doesn't lose the advantage here he's always like in charge and trying to like grasp at straws and be like how do we get out of this yeah, he might not be quite as competent as those other characters, but he's got way more resources. So it sort of like balances out in a weird way. <laughs> Any other thoughts about the movie of this? I will do want to point out that this is the third screenplay Hanks wrote. He did That Thing You Do and Larry Crown and this. So basically every 10 years or so. Each drastically different too, pretty much. Kind of like that Larry Crown, the most like benignly pleasant movie of all time. That Thing You Do, just a, a kind of like an uproaring good time and then this is just like oh boy this is tense and a downer kind of but lance corona but any other thoughts about this movie before we ask a couple hard hitting questions and then nominate this for some awards i have one thing to say go for it i'm all about pg-13 you know 2000s era movies and i love that the crewman drops the f-bomb and then apologizes to hanks for dropping the one (laughs) f-bomb yeah that, I don't know why. I wrote, I wrote that down. That was the last thing I had starred as something I wanted to say. you got to stow <laughs> that language, yeah. I mean, as you will get to in Too Fast, Too Forever, as you listen back, like, me and Joe are all about that, trying to figure out who, as we say, who gets the fuck. Because you only get one of them, and so it's important. And, like, Hobbs and Shaw gets around it in a very clever way, but, yeah, it's a very well-done, tasteful iteration in this movie, so good call. All right, if Tom Cruise was cast as Captain Krause, right, Captain Krause? Commander. Commander. No, Captain. Captain. Oh, okay. I think it's Commander, actually. Is it Commander? I think so. That's what I said in the plot summary. I hope so. Hang on. It's probably just because it was the last thing I heard. Oh, it is Commander. I thought it was Captain. I thought they were calling him Captain. Maybe not. You're thinking Captain Phillips. Well, the Captain in his convoy. I don't know. Maybe the write-up is wrong. 
I don't know. First time captain. Maybe you could be both. Maybe it depends what type of ship you're on. He's credited as commander, but in the write-up on Letterbox as a first time captain. Okay. Maybe one of them is a rank and one of them is a designation. That's not, I don't know, maybe. I, I just know it. we're both right, so yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> if Tom Cruise were cast in the role of Commander Krause, Captain Krause, whatever, would this work or is there another role? And I feel like kind of what's hard and I don't know and I will let Duke go first. It feels like for in a good way, everyone kind of blends together. But Duke, what do you think? Could Cruise play the Hank's role? Or if not, is there a role on the ship that he could play? I don't think he works in the Hank role. This needs to be like kind of a grizzled old man, even though Hank's does you know, it's, I feel like he does not have the look and the age of somebody who'd be in command of one of these vessels at the time. But I can see, because it's funny, because I was just watching this movie the other day, maybe him just being the voice of the U-boat captain, reminiscent of his, uh, I mean, obviously not being a Nazi, being an anti-Nazi in Valkyrie, but maybe that, or possibly maybe the second in command? The I, I guess that would be the um, the lieutenant commander. The Stephen Graham role? Yeah. I can see that. I actually think that it would be interesting to see him do this because Tom Cruise has played so many sort of self-assured characters in his career. And what we're starting to see with Ethan Hunt is that, like, he can't trust anyone on a certain level that, like, he gets so frantic and frazzled that he's sort of just, like, panicking his way through a couple of those missions at the end, <laughs> but still, like, performing perfectly and everything like that but i would like to see him do sort of like you know valkyrie-esque kind of stuff where he's just kind of like out of his element really you know it's hard to get Cruz to be out of his element and i think it would be interesting to drop him on this boat in the middle of the ocean and see him freak out for for like an hour and a half to see tom Cruise play a character that makes poor decisions to see you know him need to sort of rely on his crew for morale and all that kind of stuff i think it could be interesting i don't i don't think it's the type of stuff he's into now because he can't film on a real battleship out in the middle of the atlantic ocean he wants to actually shoot stuff he can do so there's a couple other things probably keeping him from it at the time but yeah as we record this about a month before it comes out like we just found out this week that tom cruise is renting like a seven hundred thousand dollar like super yacht to keep Mission Impossible 7 filming. Like, he's on a boat now. I mean, just throw him on the Greyhound boat. <laughs> Same kind of boat, I'm sure, right? You know. Good call. So do you think that they restructured some of that plot to take place on that boat? so that they could like shoot on it while they have all the they spent the money on the boat damn it we're gonna write it into the movie yeah ethan hutt has to travel down a water slide to make it to the midnight buffet to stop the bomb from going off in the middle of the ocean oh the water slide buffet just like napoleon in bill and ted's excellent adventure it's all coming together all these yeah. timely references that are going to make very little sense in a month not really very little sense but like less sense if you're in current day it is it is top notch being somebody from the outside of all the podcasts that you are doing besides the one i am in right now it makes perfect sense i actually listened to the bill and ted podcast today yeah all right now important question and i think the answer is yes the last time we'll ask it for a while is tom hanks america's dad in this movie fuck yes hells yeah he's the dad to every soul on that ship absolutely darn tootin all right. So I thought, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why not, but yeah. All right. The final time we're doing this, Mike, the Woodies. Next week, we are announcing the Woodies. We are announcing the nominations. Voting will be open next week. But today is the final time to nominate things. The best and the worst of Tom Hanks's career. Best film, worst film. I think we all really like this film, but if we're getting this down to his top 10, I don't know if this is in his top 10. It's probably close-ish, but I don't think it's top 10. Do you? No, I don't think so. I think it's just, it's... 
I, I like it extra more, maybe because it's like a new movie from this year, uh, and there haven't been a lot of them, so that's kind of coloring the judgment of Tad. But no, I don't think in his entire overall scheme of things that this is going to crack top ten. I mean, it's close, but no. Duke, you okay with that? I enjoyed this movie, but it's definitely not his best movie. How about the role? Is Commander Crow is one of his best roles? Again, that's a lot to go up against so late in the game. <laughs> I agree. Best ensemble, though, I will say, yes. Yeah, the whole movie is about everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, destroy your crew 100%. Best fight? I mean, the whole movie is a ship battle, but I don't think that really is what we have in mind here. No, yeah, we're talking more like fisticuffs kind of stuff. Fisticuffs, they dropped the word fisticuffs in this movie, but we don't get to see it. So close. What a bummer. Best dance scene, no. Best party scene, no. Best Hank's outfit wardrobe, he's got some cool stuff, but again, it's kind of all muted, right? Bloody, bloody slippers, monogram slippers. But I was thinking, like, it was getting, it was, there was a point where I was like, this might be a contender, because, like, he puts on, he gets on the boat, and then he puts on a jacket, and then he puts on, like, a vest, and then he puts on a helmet. And he's, like, gearing up, and then someone hands him his goggles, and I'm like, oh, shit, like, is he gonna keep going? Is he just gonna layer upon layer out there? Because it does get fucking cold as hell and everything, but no, he got, he just stops there. I mean, what I also like is that he's got at least two pairs of gloves. He sends the kid for, like, the knit ones, not the other ones, or maybe the other ones, not the knit ones, right? So, like, you know, he's a man of many fashions. He wants to be comfortable. I don't blame him. Best death, he does not die. Best line or best freakout. There was a line in here that I really liked... We'll do all the sea allows, sir, which is the sinking British ship says to him before, you know, their final transmission or whatever. I like the line, this is the captain. It seems we sank that target. It was an all-hands job, but it feels like it's a little too wordy for punchy best line for our awards. But anything you guys think, best line, anything in here worth nominating? It's not a Hanks line, unfortunately, but you have um, you have FDR and Churchill like from their speeches back in the day at the beginning of the movie. And FDR has that great line from David Farragut, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. And and I know it's not a Hanks line, but damn, I fucking love that line. So I, I actually wrote down a Hanks line for like once, but I don't think it's, you know, overall, I don't think it, it's... Um... I don't think we have to nominate it, but he says, repetition will rain hell from on high. Is that a Bible verse? Because it feels like he's quoting the Bible at that moment. Yeah, and I was definitely like, I don't get I don't get it, but that's <laughs> kind of sounds bad. It sounds like something Jules would say in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Best music? The music is good. The music is very good, but I don't know that it's going to stand out. Yeah, he does like the new sort of Hans Zimmer squealing stuff whenever the uh, Germans appear. It's like, squeak. It's like really weird. It's like, high-pitched violin kind of stuff maybe i don't know it was kind of throwing me off though i was like oh they're just trying to maybe use music as like an animal or represent like more of like an animal thing but oh this is kind of wild so the composer was blake neely who is a name i don't recognize he did the pacific uh that movie from 2010 uh, about world war two but he also did the only other movie of his that i've seen is the great buck howard so i guess he must Whoa. be like a hanks hmm. guy possibly so radically different music in that movie yeah best or worst hanks love story best non-hanks actor male or female is there anything the elizabeth shoe stuff i think we can skip but is there anything any actor in this movie that stands out above the rest i think stephen graham is good but again in the grand scheme of things i don't know anybody you want to nominate in particular here no i only recognize two names in here and um they're not of any real big deal in the movie yeah um, i got nothing all right then one nomination it is 
Best Ensemble. Well, as I said, next week we will have the we will officially announce the nominees and we will have the Google form open at cageclub.me for you to vote on it. But Duke, thank you so much for joining us to wrap up in a way, Hanks the Memories with the final to date Tom Hanks movie. Thanks, guys. I really, really appreciate it. And it's always a pleasure hanging out with you, too. So now by the time this episode comes out in a month, we might have some news. You're you're sort of mulling over a couple podcast ideas. But if you if you like the sultry sounds of this guy's voice, uh, stay tuned because there might be stuff coming. Who knows? Who knows? And I hope that when I do come to the point where I have a podcast, they're mulling about two, three ideas pretty focused on one i know that you guys would be great for any of the three that i go through and and decide to do so uh, i i hope eventually when it does happen you guys will join me on my podcast well thank you so much but keep an eye at cageclub.me slash shows for possibly whatever idea duke comes up with in all 27 for now shows for all things hanks for the memories you go to cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on twitter and instagram email us hanks at cageclub.me come back next week as we announce the woodies and sort of unveil what we're going to do the next handful of weeks before the woodies award show themselves itself i don't know check out cageclub.me slash shows for all 27 shows for now including anything upcoming from these two gentlemen tonight, Mike and Dan. And, you know, just keep listening and let us know that you're out there. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Dan the Duke Hayden, and we'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories.